going to go to the book of John. Stop in the 11th chapter. I just want to read the first verse because I don't want to, um, if we read the whole chapter and the whole story, but I just want to make us aware of the starting point. Chapter 11. In verse 1, and there was a certain, certain sick one, Lazarus from Bethany of the village of Mary and uh, her sister Martha. And Mary it was who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. I want to start here this morning. We have been preaching about the signs. The seven great signs that are found from the first chapter of John into the twelfth chapter. And uh, we're not going to stop at the twelfth chapter, but this is what's kind of been designed by scholars to say this is the book of signs. So this being the last one, and this sign is called resurrection. It's called resurrection. And uh, so let's look into the word of God this morning and just see what the Lord would reveal to us. And shall we pray? Lord, we ask you now at the reading of your word. We have just felt worship this morning. We felt in prayer, oh God. I felt you, Lord, that you're, you're doing something here this morning. In that song we just sang, Lord, our hearts were touched. God, we just ask you now as we come to the word, you have blessed and blessed and blessed. And now we come to your word, and I pray now that you would bless, bless the speaking of your word. I pray an anointing would be over me. God, that I would give an elevated discourse this morning, not just a discourse. Lord, and that we would hear. God, that we would celebrate. We would celebrate at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, whom last week we said, Peter said, joy unspeakable and intensely filled with glory, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we pray in your name, Lord, be glorified. Amen. 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 Of all the signs that we've talked about, I would have to believe that this particular sign which Jesus did would probably be the most compelling of all the miraculous things that he did. There are certain things that maybe doctors can do. There's things that smart, wise men can do that astound us. It's amazing some of the things that, that the human mind has constructed. Uh, the abilities that, man, years ago, 200 years ago, they would look at us and, and would just be in shock of what we know, what we can do. 
And it's commonplace. Most of us now just, we just kind of take for granted things that years ago, there are some things that can be done by men. I mean, we've taken some steps in, in, uh, in science. We've taken steps in, in understanding the human body. And, and there's some great medical things that doctors can do. I thought about uh, Jannies and Jambres who were there in Egypt with Moses. And Moses came by the power of the Lord and did some miracles. And they copied those miracles. And so far, they were with stride, stride by stride with Moses doing the miracles that Moses did. But then they came to life and creation, and, and they couldn't do. There's some things that are reserved for God alone. Can you say amen? This physical sign that's going to be done here is not just, again, is not just for the raising of his buddy. I believe that the Lord had some friends who were special friends. Now, I don't want to offend you this morning, but God still has some friends that are special to him. <laughs> not saying that you're not, but there were some people that the Lord just really liked. He really loved them. I, I, like, I don't know how many of you have run across a thing in John's book where he says, the disciple whom the Lord loved. If you run across that, well, then at the end of the book, he's going to tell you who that was. It was that was him. And uh, he thought that the Lord just had a, a special friendship and love towards him that maybe was just a little bit beyond the rest of the disciples. So I don't know that for sure. I think Peter was probably designed as the, the, the spokesman and the mouthpiece of the early church. And, and But John had this this special place. Well, maybe it was because the Lord looked at him while he was on the cross and told him to take care of his mother. And so later writing, John said, he picked me out of the rest of them. But this man, Lazarus, Mary and Martha were special to the Lord. Now, I believe, and you can read in the scriptures, that he often went to Bethany. Bethany is not very far at all from the Garden of, or the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and the Mount of Olives. And Jesus spent quite a bit of time at the Mount of Olives. And so Bethany was not far away. And I believe he probably spent time in their house there, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and became close friends. And over a period of time, his ministry, traveling through there, probably staying with them and around them, by them, drew a certain love towards them. And so um, they, when Lazarus got sick and it looked like that there was no hope for him, they sent to Jesus. Now, Jesus is way down across Jordan. He has left out of Judea because the Jews were trying to kill them. They put out a an arrest on him, a warrant for his arrest, if you would, and tried to capture him. And so him and the disciples went to the place where John the Baptist first baptized across River Jordan. And there is where they brought to him this message about Lazarus. Now, Jesus is going to do a sign that is, again, going to self-reveal. It's going to show of his glory. Again, I said 
before in every one of these signs that Jesus did wasn't just to heal a man. It wasn't just to turn water into grape juice. It wasn't just to give sight to a blind man. But every one of these were a sign. Everybody say sign with me. It was a sign. It meant something more than just a miracle per se. And I think we, a lot of times, are, we do believe that God does miracles. But even I pray, in this day, I believe that God does a thing in our life to do more than just heal us. I believe God does a thing in our life to change us completely. You know God wants us to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, a whole person. And so what he does and what he designs for our life is more than just a fix here and a fix there. He's trying to make us whole. And so we believe that God's process in our life isn't just healing, and we believe and we pray for just healing. But that's not the whole process of God in our life. The process of God is to make us whole. Now, I want to go, if you would, go over to John, uh, the 20th chapter with me, Sister Haley, if you would. I want to go to the 30th verse, and I'll read a thing here, and then jump into the next chapter at the end of the next chapter. But I want to read this, uh, the uh, 20th chapter and 30th verse. Then truly Jesus did many other signs. The King James got it right. I, my Bible says miracles. But then Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. That's what the signs are about. Go over to the end of the next chapter, the 21st chapter, and the 24th verse. And this is the disciple witnessing about these other things, writing these things that we, uh, that we know that his witness is true. And there are also many things, whatever Jesus did, which if they were written singly, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books having been written. Amen. So let me say this about signs. The ones that were listed, the ones that were put into the book, were intentional there, and they were intentionally put there so that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The signs weren't put there just to testify that he had power to heal, that he had extraordinary super superpowers in the earth to do mighty, miraculous things. But they were signs which left an impression. They were signs which changed the life of those it happened to and the life of those whom the testimony spread to and that's you and I. 2,000 years later, those signs are still changing our life. They're changing our view of who he is and what he was. And the world may think they know who he is, but by his signs and what he claimed to do and what he did, we understand who Jesus really is. Can the church say amen? And so John said, I'm witnessing these things for 
the people who read this, and he didn't know, he couldn't see 2,000 years later, Echoes of Calvary in Anderson, California, that we were going to read the very works that he had written down there, and it is to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And so this morning, I take not only just my thought and my experience and my words, but I take the words of this apostle who was there, who saw the signs, recorded the signs, and I'm speaking them this morning so that you might believe that Jesus is the Lord. Amen. This last uh, of these seven signs, the Lord has revealed up to this point who he is. He has done this, what I call self-revelation. We connect these signs all the way back to the creation when the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the deep all the way into everlasting life. And this last sign is going to be about resurrection to everlasting life. See, he is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher. He is the originator, and he is the one who will finally say amen at the end of this thing. And all the connection of all of that thing is this I am. And we go back to the I am in creation. We go to I am in healing. We go to the I am in the bread of life. We go to the I am in the sight to the blind. All of these things are done so that Jesus may be exposed as the great Lord God that we believe that he is. The seventh sign is going to be power over death and the grave. Thank God that he's got power over death and the grave. Many of us have put our loved ones in the grave. With sorrow, we have experienced grief. But we always say this, and I've done a lot of funerals, I've done a lot of memorials, and always say those who died in Christ, it's not the end, it's not the end, there will be a resurrection to life. And uh, I don't understand everything about what happens immediately after you pass. Paul just said, when you pass from this life, you just, you're with the Lord to be absent from this body. Be present with the Lord. But I don't understand all of that, the timing and resurrection. And, and I've had a lot of questions about that. And couldn't answer a lot of those because really the Scripture doesn't tell us exactly. But Jesus said there will be a day of resurrection. Can the church say amen? I am hoping. If we had no hope of eternal life, Paul said we would be of men most miserable. And the reason why he said that wasn't the experience of serving Christ. This is the best life there ever is. But what he had to go through in serving Christ, the persecutions, the trouble, and all the things surrounding that, and, and we know a little of that. Sometimes friends or families may reject us. Sometimes we don't see things, you know, get things the way we want them to be just because we're a Christian on your job sometime. If you're a Christian and they know it, you may not get the promotion and so on and so forth. Those kind of things do happen, but we know just very little. Paul went through a lot of it. The, the apostles went through it. The early church went through it. And he said this, if, 
If that's what we had in this life, we would be of men most miserable. But we have a hope that is beyond this life. We've got a hope, an eternal hope. And I'm serving the Lord. I am pleased to serve the Lord right now. And, and Andre Crouch wrote this song. He said, it's been worth serving the Lord even if there never was promised an eternal life. It's been worth serving the Lord. But... There is promised an eternal life. We can't say if there never was promised because it is part of the package. And thank God we may suffer through this life a little. Thank God we may be rejected a little. We may be put down. We may go through some hard things. But it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Can you say amen? The resurrection to life is an amazing, marvelous thing that God has planned and prepared for those who love him. What a hope. What a hope. Every one of us, if this thing should last and go on, we don't know when the close will be, end of time. But if it goes on, every one of us will eventually end up in the grave. And every one of us needs a hope that that's not the end for us. We're not a dog that lays down and, and that's the end of life. But we have a hope in Christ Jesus that goes far beyond that. Can you say amen? By this great work which he will do called resurrection, he's going to show the world. He's going to show the Jewish world and he will show the Christian world. Like I said for centuries, we understand this. By this sign, we understand who is who. There's only one who has authority over death, hell, and the grave. There's only one who has the power to raise us up again. There is no outside prophet. There is no uh, demonic occult that can promise that you're coming back to life. But there is a Christ who has not only a promise, but he's got the power in his hand to raise you up, to lift you up, to give you eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's only one God. There's a lot of them fooling around. There's a lot of people worshiping different gods. But there's only one God who has the power of resurrection. There's a lot of gods they may appease you in this life and, and you may serve them, but the scripture calls them dumb idols. They cannot speak. They cannot help. They kept Buddhists can sit there as long as they can just worship him and praise him and, and put jewels on him. And I see it when we go in a Chinese restaurant. There he sits in all of his little chubby glory. And he sits there unable to do anything. He can't help. He can't lift them. He can't heal them. He can't save them. And surely he has no power of resurrection in him. But we've got a Christ this morning that has all power. He's got some power to lift. He's got some power to save. He's got power to deliver. And what the gods of this world do not have in our Jesus Christ, there is life and hope. And we're not done when we die. We're just beginning to live in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Satan has, Satan has some power. People get into the occult and into the spirit world because they're intrigued. 
that there is some, there's some power there. Some strange things happen. They may see a apparition. Are there apparitions? Oh, yes. We call them ghosts. Get into seances and hear a voice. Does Satan have the power to bring a voice? Oh, yes. He's got some power. And then we think about, we think about demons who have some power. They get into people's lives. Begin to control. Demons have been given a certain amount of power. I was telling somebody the other day, and I thought about this. Man, I'll tell you something good about this. They're, they're wanting to, um, well, some people are wanting to keep the population on earth down. But I thought about this. Demons can't multiply. There's no more demons now than when they fell out of heaven. They can't recreate. And so the more people that are on the earth, the less percentage they could be affected by a devil. But they have some power. They have some means. Certainly they want to possess people. Certainly they want to influence people. And the rulers of this world have some powers to do and capture and take and rule. And they have some power. They've been given some. Jesus said to Pilate, you don't have any authority that hasn't been given to you. He did have some power and authority, but it's only what was given to him. And so in that this morning, I say this, Jesus has been given all power in heaven and in earth. And no wonder he can arise victorious over death hell, and the grave. Because all power in heaven and earth is given to him. Satan is not a challenge to him. The rulers of this world are not a challenge. The demons are not a challenge to him. The occults are not a challenge to him. All power in heaven and earth has been invested into Jesus Christ. And he has the power of resurrection, can you say amen? Jesus made these quotes. He said, all things the Father has are mine. Mm. What has been invested in him is all power in heaven and in earth. It has been given into the person, the body, the manifestation of God in the earth who was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. Here we have the figure that creation had been waiting for. Here we have the one who, who God had promised from the early seed of Abraham, from David's seed, from from all the generations that God had put in line to bring forth and, and now he is exposed to the world and he's not just exposed to the world to heal some people and to save a few, but he is exposed to show exactly who 
He is. He is the God of all heaven. Can you say amen? Now I want to go to Isaiah 45, 18 and, and follow with me here because then I want to jump again to the New Testament. Isaiah 45, 18, and we're going to take a reading from uh, way back on what God said about himself in self-revelation in the Old Testament time. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, and he established it, and he created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. We've got to connect that I am. I am the Lord, Yahweh, God, and there is none else. Go down to the 21st verse, and when you're 21st, 22nd, 23rd, tell ye and bring them near, yea. Let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is none else. Verse 23, I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear or confess. Jump over to Philippians, the second chapter and the ninth verse. And remember, in an Old Testament, I've sworn by myself and the word's gone out of my mouth that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess. Now go to Philippians 2 and 9. Wherefore God hath also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and of things under the earth. And verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you this. God instituted this thing not sometime later, not second plan, not, not plan B, but God instituted this thing to happen in Isaiah's voice. In Isaiah's time, he prophesied there's coming a time when all power is going to be given, when God is going to show himself in the earth and there every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Father, can you say amen? I want to go into John 11 now with this in mind. And beginning this discourse, and we've gone over this, probably I would say most of our Speakers, preachers, teachers have taught about Lazarus being raised from the dead. So I'm not going to give you a new thing this morning in that. I think we all know pretty well the storyline and the whole event. But Jesus starts off 
They tell him that Lazarus is sick and it looks like he's going to die. <clears throat> and, and Jesus, hearing this, he says, this sickness is not towards death in the Greek pros, towards death. In other words, this situation is not going to end up in death. So he already knows before it starts. Rather, for the betterment of the glory of God, that through it, the sickness, the Son of God may be glorified. Wow. So we're going to start another miracle with the idea in mind that this is not about Lazarus. This is not about raising somebody from the tomb. This is about the glory of God. In raising him from the tomb, it will promote the betterment of the glory of God. I'm using that word there because that's one of the words of description in that literal uh, rendering. The betterment of the glory of God. And then he turns to his disciples. He says, I'm glad for you that you're going to get to see this. Because what they think is going to happen is going to be so much deeper than what they thought. The sign isn't going to be just, I raised a friend, now he's going to live some more, because Lazarus is going to die again. <clears throat> like I told you a couple weeks ago, the Lord healed somebody who was sick, but there's a good chance they got sick again. They died of something. You're not going to live through this thing. You're going to die. Lazarus is going to die. But for the betterment of the glory of God, I'm glad, disciples, that you're going to get to witness this. And doesn't John say later, I witnessed it and I'm telling it to you, right? They're going to get to see something that is so much deeper than just another miracle. What they're going to get to see is this perfect harmony of father and son, creator and created, spirit and flesh, visible and invisible. They're going to get to see this perfect harmony of what Jesus does by the power of the spirit of God that is in him. And he's going to identify this as he is the one who is doing it. And even though later he'll say in John 14, he said, I don't do any works of myself, but I do them of the Father which is in me. Remember that? But what you don't see of the Father that's in him, you do see of the Father that's showing the work on the outside. And you do see the flesh. And you do see the person of God standing there as a human being, as a man. And what they're going to see is what the Jews looked at, what the Jews compared to be in heresy, saying that as a man, you compare yourself to God. Really, that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to show that not just he's a man with prophetic authority. 
a man who is a messianic authority or a man who just has some kind of special insights and power. But he's going to show that what he is on the inside, he is also on the outside. And what he is on the outside, he is on the inside. He is I am, and it's not just only on the inside, but he is I am on the outside. And you're going to see a perfect harmony of what God is, both spiritually, what you cannot see, and physically, which you can see. And in this miracle, this sign, this wonder, is going to show the perfect harmony of what God has done in Christ Jesus. Now, we just read a scripture that said, I am God alone. I am Savior. Did you see that big S there? Title. I am Savior. Well, I want you to know something. That our Savior isn't a God who we don't know. He's not a God out there who hasn't identified himself. But he has made it very clear who he is. Come on, say amen if you know his name. His name is Yeshua, Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. Can you say amen? Starting at just the outset of his birth. And the angels in heaven said, there's one that's born into the world. Now you need to go see him. He is Christ the Savior. And so what Isaiah is saying way back when about Savior, what he's saying about I am God. Now we have the person of God in front of us, and he will answer that call very clearly. Let's run over this really quick as, as Jesus waited a few days to make sure that Lazarus was dead. Isn't that beautiful? And just like we thought, if you were here, Lord, well, this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever thought that? I don't know. You all think on those terms or not. But I was thinking, Lord, you could have intervened right there. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But I tell you what, God is sovereign. Can you say amen? I found out in my life, you know, sometimes I do have a few questions. You ever have a question? You ever, you ever feel like you have a question for God? I feel like I do sometimes, but I learn that God's sovereign and not me. That God's will be done. Can you say amen? So the sisters, Martha and Mary, don't know this. They are a little, on the fringes, upset at him. I don't know if you can read that in there. Because when finally the disciples, uh, they said, Lord, why are you going back into Judea? I said, they're going to kill you. And he said, come on, we're going up to, to see Lazarus. Well, Lazarus is fine. He's, he's going to be okay. He's sleeping. No, he's dead. Well, I guess we'll go with him and all get killed, the disciples said. They're a real believing group, aren't they? It's just like their faith is really taking a dip right here. I guess we'll go. We'll all die. Fine, let's go. And they got their stuff, and out they headed. When they get almost to Bethany, Mary hears that, or was it Martha first? Martha hears that, that Jesus is coming. Oh, man, she is excited for what could have been. 
She's excited for what he could have done. If you'd been here, Lord, she says to him, Lord, oh, Lazarus died, Lord. She's crying. Everybody's crying. Lazarus is dead. But, Lord, if you'd have been here, this would not have happened. And what Jesus should have told her was, I intentionally was not here. That's what he told the disciples. So that you may see the glory of God. Well, don't you believe that I can do something about it now? Have you ever got into something in a trial and something went wrong and, and you just figure, well, okay, God didn't answer and so that's it. You know, he can fix something that he already didn't answer. <laughs> and this is what he's going to do with Lazarus. He did not answer. They said, Lord, please come up, please. And I'm sure that the person that went down to find Jesus down beyond Jordan reported back to them and said, yeah, I told him. He's coming. And so now it's been days, been four days. If you had been here, Lord, well, this, this wouldn't have happened. Well, do you believe that your brother will rise again? Hmm. Oh, yes, Lord, I believe in, in, in the resurrection of the last day. And, and he must have taught them that. They understood at least that much. I believe there will come a day when Lazarus will come up out of the grave. Yes, Lord, yes. And Jesus looked at her. And if you see this in the, in the text, in the Greek text, he emphatically answers her. Maybe with his chest puffed out a little bit. I am the resurrection. I believe he'll... Rise again in the resurrection someday. I am the resurrection. In other words, there isn't any resurrection outside of me. Resurrection isn't even going to happen outside of me. I, there it is again. I am. There it connects it again. The living God. I am the resurrection. And, and this word resurrection is anastasis. And all it simply means is to stand up. And this, this time it means to stand up again. We're all standing up at one point. We're all living and walking at one point. And we're going to lay down in the grave. But there will come a point when every man will hear the voice of the Son of God. And they will rise from the dead. There is a resurrection. But, but make no mistake about it. It's not just a resurrection. It's not just the resurrection. It is resurrection by empowered in Christ Jesus who is the resurrection. It's not just an event. This is about him again. Well, can't we get anywhere that it's not about him? My friend, I'm sorry. There is nothing, nowhere to go in the scripture that is not about him. It's all about him. This thing is all about him. And you were made for him and in him and through him. And so don't think there's a separate thing going on here. I am the resurrection and I am the life. There is no life outside of him. Think for a moment. Life came from the ever-existing one. 
from the self-existing one who has all life within him. There was no life. That's why I cannot believe that somewhere in the cosmos that something crashed and exploded and there was matter somewhere and that it just flung off into made a universe which is so complex that it's really scary that a piece of matter could do that. It cooled down and life began to come and then then finally we became the species that was ultimate in this earth. I cannot believe that. That's not where life came from. Life and its source comes out of God. It comes out of the one who had life in the beginning. In the origin of things, God had life. Life wasn't anywhere else. It wasn't on Mars. It wasn't on the sun. It wasn't on the planets. Life came from God Almighty. He said, I am the life. It's me. I'm the one who generated life out of from within God comes life. Boy, we really think we're living. We think we've got life by the tail. Until the Lord says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And what are you going to do about it? You think you have life in you. You need to reread the scripture. It's talking about me, Jesus said. So the 14th chapter of John, and the Lord will reiterate this when he says to his disciples, I am. Everybody say, I am. I am. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Let me tell you this. There is no truth existing outside of Christ. There is no way existing outside of Christ. There is no life existing outside of Christ. You may think you're alive, but you're a dead man walking until you meet the giver of life. Because he's got life to breathe inside of you to raise up that what old dead man that's in you. The power of resurrection is not just resurrecting those out of the tomb that have died. The power of resurrection is taking the dead spirit that's inside of you that's not alive and by the breath power breathed into that spirit and you become a living soul you for the first time in your life you know what it is to live can you say amen you know what it is to breathe you know what it is to have life in Christ Jesus to deny that Jesus is Yahweh God manifested in the flesh I am is nothing but an antichrist spirit Jesus didn't make any bones about it at all. I am the life. Martha, I am the resurrection. Now, Martha will, or rather Mary hears the Lord is there. She comes out and basically the same thing. 
And Jesus says, they're mourning everywhere. Jews are there from Jerusalem, which is only a mile and a half away, and they've come to mourn. They're good mourners. A lot of Jews are Sadducees anyway. I'll tell you something about the Sadducees. They're sad, you see. They do not believe there is a resurrection, so they're sad. That's, that's just, you know, a little English spin on that. But they're just a morning, they're crying, wailing, and they put it on. I mean, they can, they can really get the wailing going over the dead. And so they've got that going on. And so uh, uh, Mary now comes out of the house, and all, of, all the mourners are coming with her. They're going, they're crying. And uh, they get to Jesus. Interesting thing. Shortest verse in the Bible. It's, it was my favorite memory verse when they told me as a young person, you have to, you, have to uh, uh, you know, remember a verse, and my verse was, Jesus wept. And it's not hard. You get any kind of sense at all, you know. Well, Rod, what's your memory verse? This Jesus wept. So the problem is I couldn't remember where it was found. But there's a pur- purpose here that Jesus wept. In this picture of of resurrection power, we're going to see the I am power of God. And at the same time, we're going to see the humanness of Jesus Christ. You're going to get a picture of both sides of who he literally, he was troubled in his spirit. And somebody said, well, he he was weeping because... Really, this was a, a reenaction of his death, burial, and resurrection, which possibly true. But he said, "Well, he's he's weep." Somebody said they wrote a song. They said he's not weeping uh, because Lazarus has died. He's weeping because he has to call him back from out of the heavenly. Well, I don't know that that's exactly true either. But he is showing his emotion. He is showing his care for a friend and for a family. I want you to know that Jesus loves and there's people that he loves and he does have compassion and care upon those that he loves. Don't you think he loves his children? Say amen. I can't tell you that he loves the whole world. Somebody said he loves everybody. It's just unconditional love no matter who and what you are. God created you and you're his children. No, I don't find that scriptural. I'm going to read to you a scripture that says we have had the privilege to become the children of God. We didn't just be born somewhere and now we're the children of God. We have become something that he dearly cherishes and loves. Somebody wrote a song that said, God weeps along with man. I don't know that for sure, but here he did for sure show that he had compassion for his friend and the family and all this scenario that's going on and about death. And he had compassion on them and he wept. And then he said, show me, show me where you got him buried. Now, they're wondering, think, well, they said maybe he's going to, uh, to put some flowers on the grave. He wants to honor Lazarus, his dead friend. The Jews said, oh, how he loved him. And Jesus, again, has said he groans in his spirit. Show me where he's. And then he says, roll back that. He's in a, he's, he's in a, a, a cave or a, 
a tomb that's covered with a stone similar to his. Roll that back. And then they start in, oh, Lord, wait, time, time hit the brakes a little bit here. He's been dead four days. The first three days of the decomposition of your body, your internal organs begin to dissolve, and the body eats the internal organs. I don't mean to gross you out here, but just the first 72 hours. On the fourth day, your body then begins to reject those organs and bloody foam begins to come out of your nose and your mouth. And then the body is bloated. Um, doesn't look very good. Nasty. It's death. Death doesn't look very good to us. Lord, <laughs> hang on a minute here. He's been in there four days now, and he's beginning to rot and stink. And not, none of that matters with the Lord. That, that, that's, that's just byproduct of what happened. That doesn't matter. I'm not here for that. What I'm here to do is show you something. I'm here to show you who the resurrection and the life is. So it doesn't matter what condition your body is in. Can you say amen? Brother Curtis, it doesn't matter what condition your body is in. He still is the giver of life. It doesn't matter how far down you've gone spiritually. He still is the Savior. And that's what he wants to show. It's not the condition of his body. Whether he stinks or not is really of no importance. What matters is, is that the Lord is going to show something to them and it's going to stick in those disciples' mind and they're going to understand that this man is not just a man. This man is not just a prophet. This man is who he says he is. He is the I am almighty God. Now he says a thing and, and somebody said, well, he had to be specific. He had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he'd have just yelled, come forth, they'd all come out of the graves. <laughs> that could be possible. But he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out here. And here he comes out of that tomb. I, I, man, oh man. Can you imagine Lazarus' surprise? He has been dead, and now he is alive. I believe he's probably struggling. His feet are bound. His hands are bound. He's jumping maybe like a rabbit. I don't know. He gets out of there. His face is bound, and, and Jesus said, loose him and, and set him free. And what a great and mighty, mighty miracle. Can you say amen? What a great and mighty, mighty miracle. Now, to close this, to close this thing, there, there then... There were Jews there that saw this. And, and here really is the sign. You know the Lord is showing these signs to the Jews too, not just his disciples. Seven undeniable proofs to the Jews. But every time they dismiss it, every time they just say, well, it's, it's probably just coincidence, maybe, maybe happenstance. They dismiss it every time. But isn't it interesting that every one of these, the Jews are around there. 
And then there's a mix of conversation. Because the Lord really is coming to his own. He really is trying to bring them something they don't have. He really is trying to show them a sign of who he really is. And so there was some there, and they ran to the Pharisees and said, told the Pharisees what had happened. How can you deny? There were probably hundreds of people there between the mourners and the little town of Bethany, the, the, the graveyard, and those that knew that Lazarus died. He's come out now. How do you deny that? One of the Gospels said they decided to kill Lazarus and Jesus because they didn't want it said that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. But their own people were there and they witnessed it. And going back to the Pharisees now, I, I, I love this, what they said. Let me, let me read this to you. After they had talked about this for a bit, and the, those that were there reported to the Pharisees, they, they put a Sanhedrin together. You know what the Sanhedrin is? They grouped 100, and, I think it was 140 uh, uh, they had together for this quorum of a Sanhedrin. And then they would make judgments out of there. And they had this Sanhedrin together. And one of them stood up and said, what are we doing? If we leave this man alone, everyone will believe on him. Exactly. Prophetic. What are they doing? They can't do anything about his signs and wonders and miracles. They can't do a thing about it. And they will not believe it. They're doing nothing at the word of God. They're doing nothing at the signs of God. They're doing nothing. I implore you this morning that when the revelation of Jesus Christ comes out, don't ignore it. Don't make it just happenstance. Don't make it just, oh, oh that was something that the pastor got excited about. But when the, uh, the authority of the word of God reveals Christ to us, then it's our duty to receive it. Can you say amen? You don't have to make it more than what it is. Don't make it less than what it is. Just receive it. He came to his own and his own received him not. He came to them with signs and wonders. He came with them to them with the word of God and they received him not. But to as many as did receive him. I see a house full of people this morning that said I looked in that book and I saw those signs and I saw what Jesus said about himself and I believe this morning that he is the great I am I believe he is Alpha and Omega I believe he's the beginning and the end and I do react this morning and I receive this absolute blessing the right the privilege to become a child of God this morning Shake somebody's hand right beside you and say, I'm a child of God. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm a child of God. How did you get there? Well, I earned it. I'm a child of God. How did I get there? Well, I've been in church all my life. No, that, that's not going to cut it. I believed on the one who said, I am. That's how I got to where I'm at. Can the church say amen this morning? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. And, and truly, every knee is going to bow. All these smart Alex out there. <laughs> Somebody who was an agnostic had just become now as an atheist, right? <laughs> the other way, he was an atheist and now become an agnostic. Well, which means, yeah, okay. Atheist believes nothing. There are those out there who just think they're so smart. We've got this left-wing crazy nut thing going on in this country. They are so smart that they can't tell a man from a woman. They're, they're so smart. They're just smart. I'll look for the day that they put their knee on the ground and they look at him and say, you were right. You are the Lord. I didn't believe it. I didn't want it, but you're the Lord. And then all the people of God, hey, well, I, we don't have to wait for that day. I like that song that, that Pastor Rodney says, why are we, what are we waiting around for? We can praise him right now. We can lift him right now. I believe right now he is my Lord. I believe right now. I bow my knee right now to him. Lord, oh. Lord, I bow my knee. I confess with my mouth. You are my Christ. I love you. I believe in you, Lord. I, I, I live my life for you, Lord. You are my Christ. You're my God. I'm going to settle this thing. You're my God. I just Some folks just need to settle in their heart who they're worshiping this morning. I want you to know his name is Jesus, Yeshua. He is the God that I serve. He's the one. He's the I am that I'm serving him this morning. He is the one that the church is all about. So every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess. But the free choice to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior is up to you. Oh, you're going to confess. That's not, that's not the question. It's just when. After the resurrection, that's pretty late. I want to know going in the grave who my Lord is. <laughs> it says in the book of Hebrews, it said they, they didn't get the promise, but they knew when they went in the grave the promise was coming. And we may not receive, you know, that resurrection in this lifetime, but, but I'm going to go to my grave, and you're going to go to your grave believing that the one who saved us and loved us and the one we live for, the one we believed and trusted in, is going to call us out of that grave. Can you say amen? And he called my name, and I come running out of that grave. Thank you, Lord. Would you just stand with us this morning?